All right, what was the voice crying in the wilderness? Prepare the way of the Lord. Well, if you're going to get the way of the Lord ready, it's going to go through your heart. It's going to go through your house. It's going to go through your home. It's going to go through you. We've got to get ourselves ready. It's, a, it's the same thing really we're talking about today from Exodus chapter 12. So you can look there in your Bible with me. We're going to be uh, talking about God's way out from the book of Exodus and uh, the voice crying in the wilderness saying, get right with God. Get right with God and uh, do the right thing and uh, be ready. I, had, uh, I was at the Air Force Academy this week, and we were having a VIP uh, fly in to visit the academy. So ordinarily, there's two colors Air Force people wear, blue and green, okay? And so Thursday's usually a green day. But because of the VIP coming to town, the notice came out, wear blue, which has you in a, a coat and tie, okay? And uh, wear blue. We're, we're going to wear our best. And uh, so the notice came out late. Some people didn't see it. So some people on the team I'm working with uh, all showed up in green. I went to them and I said, uh, the notice came out. We're supposed to wear blue. They said, oh, we're so far away from the action. It doesn't matter. We're just here in our office. It's okay. Well, I went into change. It's kind of inconvenient. Change from green into blue because you just never know, okay? But one of the lieutenant colonels that works with me thought, oh, nobody will ever know. I'll just stay in green. And wouldn't you you know, at the end of the day, he walks around a corner and he walks right smack into the three-star general who says to him, wasn't today a great day in the Air Force? And he's standing about this far away from her. She's in blue, of course, and he's in green. And he says, well, it would be if you're in the right uniform. <laughs> he had gotten to that moment and he was out of uniform. He wasn't, he hadn't listened to the, you know, tried to tell you, wouldn't listen. He had gotten the message. He'd ignored it. We're looking at that today as we study in Exodus. We've been studying, this is an epic story in the Bible. Uh, really, Exodus is foundational to everything. It, it's, it's where God takes people out of slavery and brings them into freedom. And the story in the New Testament is the same. God brings people out of slavery to sin and into freedom that there is in Christ. And, uh, you know, there's layer after layer of meaning uh, in some of these places. And... Um, we're wanting to dig back down through the layers. When Cindy and I were first married, we moved to a camp in Massachusetts, and they put us in this house. <laughs> it was four bedrooms, two baths with a basement and an upstairs. And I mean, we, we just got out of school. We have nothing. So we're flopping around in this huge house. And they said, well, you can do some uh, renovation, refurbish it if you want. We'll even provide some of the money. So with youthful enthusiasm, we start in the living room. We're peeling off the wallpaper, and then another layer, and then another layer, and then another layer, and six layers layers deep to get down just back to where you could start and put fresh wallpaper on. But we thought it was kind of important, our first house, to get all the way down to the bottom where we're going to start and I'll put wallpaper on. Said, you know, nobody will ever see this. Wallpaper lasts, what, 10, 15 years? Six coats? That means it's been about 100 years since anybody saw this wall. So we're writing these love notes to each other all over the wall, these, saying these racy things covered up with the wallpaper, right? Thinking nobody will ever see. Wasn't too many years ago at a conference, so I said, hi, this time was my wife Cindy, and somebody said, did you live in a house at a camp in Massachusetts? <laughs> I said, yeah, why do you ask? Oh, well, we were re-wallpapering in there, and we ran into some love notes, and we got, whoo. So you go back in the layers, you get down to the bottom layer to find out, okay, what you find with God when you get all the way down is God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we're going all the way back here 
to the initial layers where God says, I give people free choice, and they chose sin, and sin is expensive. It breaks the relationship with God. It can only, you can only be made right with, with the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and, and so there's a problem because blood has to be shed, and we, we, generally, a lot of people in churches don't want to talk about that. They get squeamish at the sight or the thought of blood, and yet without the blood, there's no, re- shed, there's no remission of sin. There's no forgiveness. And uh, so here we go all the way back in Exodus uh, to see that as you cut back through the layers, God's the same. He offers a uh, free choice when we go wrong. He has a plan, and, and he's working his plan in this world, and he's drawing, calling people to himself. And so this is the epic story that we're looking at, and God has been giving warning after warning after warning to Pharaoh. And he's wearing green when he should be wearing blue. See, God's powerful. He's awesome. He's watching his people and how they treat each other. And he's engaged and he's involved in the affairs of men. And I mean, he's really the primary person in the whole story is God. And he's got a plan in this world and he's working his plan. And the people who are blessed, who live in God's joy, are the ones who listen to his voice and then follow him in obedience. And give their hearts to him. And so we're breaking into the middle of the story, but God's raised up these leaders named Moses and Aaron, and they've gone to Pharaoh, who's the king of Egypt, with God's message, let my people go. They'd come to Egypt as guests. At some point, they'd been turned into slaves. God's saying, I want them back. And Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, arguably the most powerful person in the world at the time, has hardened his heart over and over. And he said no to God and no to their request. And the answer is no. And you can do that. God lets you. He gives you free choice. You can harden your heart. You can say no to God, but not forever. Because if you're hardened that way, eventually your heart will be broken. God will break you. And God had told Moses in advance, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh is not going to be receptive. He's not going to receive you. He's not going to do what you want. His heart will be hardened. He's going to harden it. I'm going to harden his heart. And I'm going to send plagues to get his attention over and over and over. And he will get the memo and he will ignore it. And so God sent 10 plagues. Nine of them are in chapters 7 to 11 of Exodus. God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. God turns the water to blood. If you read the story in Exodus 7, Pharaoh's going down, presumably for his morning bath, and all of a sudden, all the water is blood. And uh, so he, I'm assuming he didn't bathe, and seven days people go without water, and Pharaoh says no. So then God floods their land and their houses with frogs. Can you imagine waking up with a frog jumping on your face or in your bed or under the bed or in your closet or anywhere that you look in your house, there were frogs, and Pharaoh says, yes, okay, just get rid of the frogs. Then when the frogs were gone, he changed his mind and said no. Then God filled the land with gnats, and Pharaoh said no. And then he sent a swarm of flies, and Pharaoh goes, yes. And then he changed his mind when the flies were gone, and he said no. And then God sent a terrible plague on the Egyptian livestock, so all their livestock was dying. And Pharaoh says no. And then God sent boils. All the Egyptians are getting painful boils all over their bodies. And Pharaoh still says no. And then God sends a terrible hailstorm, large enough pieces of hail to kill a person or an animal if they got hit. And Pharaoh says no. Then God plagued the land with locusts. And Pharaoh says, yes, get rid of the locusts. And when the locusts are gone, he changes his mind. He says no. And then God gave them darkness, and it went on for a day, and two, and three, and then Pharaoh still said no. And then he got really mad, and he said to Moses, if I ever see your face again, I'm going to kill you. Get lost. 
Meanwhile, God is protecting his people, Israel, and he's blessing them. And they weren't inflicted with all these plagues. They were like this little oasis in this huge country. But I think if you lived in a country that had gone without water for seven days, then was swarmed with frogs and gnats and flies, then lost all its livestock, then been covered with boils all over your bodies, pelted with hail, uh, the largest hailstones in the history of the world, uh, big enough to kill people, then plagued with locusts, and then left in the dark for three days, even if you were in slavery, you'd still feel exhausted and wiped out and traumatized. And yet God's at work. And God's doing what God does best. He's, he's setting people free. He's working his plan. Just follow God. God breaks into the middle of their ordeal. And here's what he says to Moses. Exodus chapter 12. The Lord says to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It's the first month of the year for you. I'm guessing everybody feels beat up and exhausted and traumatized. And God comes and says, it's brand new. Start fresh today. Start a new year. Start a new month. It's a new day. Start a new week. God says, start fresh. This is a new beginning. He's doing something new. Now, this is huge. It happened 3,400 years ago, and he gave Moses instructions how to celebrate it that first time, and then how for it to be remembered year after year after year to this day. Now, I like this here, that right in the middle of all of the brokenness and their half-finished projects and the frustration, everything they're dealing with, God comes along and says, start new. God gives them a new beginning. And the relevance of that, of course, has to do with salvation, with our salvation, that God is bringing his people to salvation. And when you've tried it all yourself and it hasn't worked, you can always turn to God, catch your breath, get ready for something new from God, a new direction, a new move of God's Spirit. Just to follow God into the unknown and unfamiliar and uncomfortable. Just follow God and be filled with his joy. Right in the middle of the year, the middle of your life, the middle of your marriage, the middle of your crisis, the middle of your uh, midlife crisis. Somebody recently, one of our 20-somethings, I was talking to them, they said, well, I just finished my quarter-life crisis. Wow, I didn't know you could have one of those, but how do you know it's just a quarter? I mean, maybe you're half done and don't know it. You know, time, time could be running faster than you think. God's doing something new. And he, he says, I'm, I'm doing something new. I'm breaking in right into the middle of everything you got going. I'm there for you. Just follow me. Go with God. I mean, the best way for each of us as individuals, it's what we're striving to do as a church. How do we listen to God's voice and then follow his leadership and to follow him? Look what God told them to do. A couple of things. To get ready to move from slavery to freedom. Verse 3. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, 10 days from now, he says, every man shall take a lamb according to his father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household's too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor will take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, shall you make your count for the lamb. Your lamb will be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, and when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. Then you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, with your sandals on your feet, with your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. 
For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now, God is getting ready, and on that night, he was going to execute the proper judgments on people who had basically shook their fist in the face of God and said, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do it my way, regardless how many warnings you have sent our way. And these people have chosen not to follow God's way, people who've hardened their hearts, including Pharaoh, and God is bringing salvation to anyone who would call on his name, and he's teaching them an invaluable lesson. There is no salvation without sacrifice. And I know it's out of style and it's not in vogue to talk about the blood, but the Bible says in Hebrews 22, 9, or 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Sin is expensive. Innocent blood must be shed to pay the price. And in God's plan, only shed blood can forgive sin. This is not a new plan. In fact, it really didn't even start with Moses. There's a layer before that back in Egypt or back in the book of Genesis. It predates Moses by 500 years because God had called a man to be his friend named Abraham. And Abraham believed God and followed God and listened to God's voice. And God blessed Abraham with a son very late in life. And when that boy was old enough to reason, God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to a mountain I'm going to show you about a three days walk and sacrifice him to me. Take his life. Abraham knew he had heard the voice of God. It seemed a pretty unusual thing. And with a heavy heart the next morning, he took his son and he set out. It took them three days. You can read this story in Genesis 22, but as they get to the bottom of the mountain where they're going to sacrifice, and they leave the servants there, and they take the, the, the coals in a, in a bucket that they have to start the fire, and they take some of the wood, and Isaac and Abraham start trudging up the mountain together. And Isaac says, and this is in Genesis 22, 7, he says, my father. He says, here I am, son. He says, behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, couldn't bring himself to tell him exactly what was going to happen. At that point, he said, well, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so both of them went on together. Now, you know the story. They got to the place of the sacrifice. I'm sure that Abraham was dragging his feet, and he carefully builds the altar, and then he puts the wood on it, and then he ties his son up, and he puts him on the altar, and he has the knife in the air. He's going to take his son's life when an angel of the Lord says, Abraham, and Abraham says, here I am. And he says, don't take the life of your son. God knows now that you love him above everything else, including your son. And look, there's a ram caught in the thicket. Sacrifice that ram. And God provided the sacrifice. And blood was shed to cover sin. Abraham was prophetic. God provided a sacrifice on that day when he tested Abraham's heart and his faith in God. And God provided Passover as a way to remind people that sin is expensive. It costs blood to pay for it and to teach people about sacrifice and to see who really believed in God. Because if you believed in God and you heard his voice and you heard his word, then you obeyed him and you lived in his blessing. Or you disobeyed him because it was inconvenient or because you just didn't want to or that's not how you decorated your house and then you suffered the consequences. Years later, God provided Jesus as the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus grew and lived, and then he actually died in Jerusalem on Passover. Did you know that? It was the Passover weekend. 
It wasn't an accident. It was all planned that way to say, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't want to jump too far ahead in the story. If you go back here, God is teaching Abraham to trust and obey, and teaching him sin has a devastating effect on our relationship with God. And it's only the shedding of innocent blood can remove the stain of sin. So God is the same then, 500 years later with Moses. He's giving them another picture of the same lesson. Here's what God told the people to do. Here's how Moses told them. Wait 10 days. Prepare yourself mentally and inwardly for what's about to happen. Judgment is going to fall. And uh, those where the blood of the lamb has covered them, they're going to escape and have God's mercy. Choose a precious, spotless, one-year-old lamb, male lamb to become the sacrifice. It's going to cost you something. Apply some of the blood from the lamb on the doorpost of your house. Now, you wouldn't think of decorating that way yourself. It wouldn't have come to you as something, hey, you know, that's attractive. It's only done as an act of obedience to the specific directions of God. And the people around you, don't, you shouldn't expect they're going to understand it or appreciate it or copy it. Then he said, stay in your house. Stay together. Stay ready. Stay vigilant. Eat the lamb standing, fully clothed, walking stick in hand. In other words, you're ready. You're on full alert. God, if you want us to stay, we'll stay. If you want us to move, we'll move. He says, share it together with your neighbors. Now, God would spare the Israelites if they followed his instructions. And when the uh, lamb's blood is sprinkled on the doorpost of their homes, then they know God knows you have listened to my voice and you have obeyed me, even in something that's simple and small and maybe embarrassing. And God would see the blood and would literally pass over that house. But if he didn't see it, then he brought his judgment and the firstborn of every house would die. It was the blood of the lamb on the doorpost that indicated that people believed God and God spared them. Now, you and I have the advantage of looking back through the long lens of history, and we can see that the Passover lamb is a picture, an expensive picture of the real thing, that God would provide himself as the sacrifice for sin, that God's blood would be shed on the cross of Calvary because without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sin. So when Jesus was beginning his ministry here on this earth, he was walking by and the prophet John the Baptist saw him passing by and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was the one God had sent into the world to pay the price of sin. It was expensive. It cost Jesus his life. He had to be like the Passover lamb without blemish, without defect. And 1 Peter 1.19 says Jesus was a lamb without blemish or defect. In Hebrews 4.14-16, it says that Christ was tempted in every way as you and I are, yet he did not sin. And when Pontius Pilate was examining him in John 19, he said, I find no fault in him. Now, I haven't spent a lot of time around sheep, but I was reading something that a shepherd wrote because sheep's reputation is they're not very bright. They're not the smartest animals that God ever created. And one shepherd was explaining that he thought his sheep had a death wish, that they just seemed to do things to put themselves in danger and that it could cost them their lives and that he was spending his time keeping his sheep from hurting themselves and protecting them from dying. The Lamb of God came into this world not to live primarily. Jesus came to die. He had a death wish. 
He was willing to die so that you and I could live. He came to pay the ransom for us. He was the lamb of substitution. He was the Passover sacrifice. As a result, as Peter said, we are not redeemed by perishable things. We are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus is our only hope for salvation. He is God's lamb. He's offered for the sin of the world. However, his blood only saves those who apply it to their own lives. You can know all about it if you don't say, I'm taking the blood of Christ, covering my heart with it. Then even the lamb of God can't save you. Because if you experience the forgiveness of sin to avoid the the sure judgment of God that's coming, that day is coming for every person, but if the lamb's blood is covering you, then you are covered. Look at this passage, verse 3, it says, a lamb. Verse 4 says, the lamb. Verse 5 says, your lamb. It moves from a lamb to the lamb to your lamb, showing the picture that this lamb is the one that the, the blood of this lamb, their obedience following God's command is what is their salvation. I mean, these Jewish slaves have waited 400 years for God to act. They have suffered. And then he gets ready and he, he says, choose a precious little lamb on the 10th day, take its life on the 14th day, put the blood on the doorposts, sacrifice the lamb, get it ready to eat, eat it standing, fully prepared to walk out the door when God calls you. We need to prepare ourselves as a church for whatever God wants. And we actually have been feverishly getting this uh, building and everything that we're going to need to move and the other buildings getting them ready for us to move into and then talking about all the things. We're going to talk all about that at the business or, or the information meeting at uh, 1230 today. So I'm sure I hope that you're there because I want you to have all the information to see how God is at work and we're attempting to follow him and uh, wanting to see all of the, uh, the pieces come together in a way that glorifies God and uh, causes a minimum of of uh, irritation for all of us, but we're going to get out of here at the end of July so they can do a major construction here, add two new buildings, and lengthen the parking lot, and it's good news, and we have a place to go, and we can praise God for that. So we're going to be trying to do the same to say, let's get ready for whatever God's wanting to do in us and in our place and in our space. The answer is yes. God, we're following you. Look what else in verse 14 God told them to do. He said, "This besides sacrifice a lamb, He said, this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you will eat unleavened bread. On the first day you'll remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is lessened, leavened, what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you will observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the 14th day of the month at evening, you will eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what's leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he's a sojourner or a native of the land. You'll eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread." Do you see how many times he repeated? I mean, he's quite the teacher, isn't he? He wants you to get the point. You're supposed to eat what? unleavened bread during that time. You see, leaven is this picture of sin. 
And God wanted Israel to see their need for holiness and purity. So he's saying it's time to clean up in preparation. Live pure lives. It's time to do some spring cleaning. If you're making bread and you put yeast in it, what, does that, what happens? It rises. The yeast makes the loaf of, of bread rise and get bigger. In fact, I heard of a donut maker. He taught his son how to make the donuts in their donut shop. And all of a sudden, the donuts are coming out bigger than they were before. And the dad wanted to beat on his kid saying, you're spending too much making these donuts so big. And he said, no, I'm not. I did everything exactly like you did. All I did is wait longer and the donuts rise more. They look bigger so people will pay more for them. Yeast or leaven makes the bread rise. Well, if you took a hot loaf of bread and set it there and you set it next to some crackers because that's what you got if you don't use any yeast you got saltines okay and you had a choice of which one most of us would choose the bread wouldn't we on the first day if you left it sitting there for two or three weeks two or three months pretty soon that bread is going to be moldy and uh, will be odorous and the crackers will still just be sitting there just waiting for you and they will be fine you see, God is using this imagery of yeast or of leaven to talk about sin. Sin in a person's life can puff us up with pride. It can make, uh, you know, sin can appear uh, desirable or tasty for a while. But in time, that sin begins to eat away at the beauty and the desirability of life and can, uh, can destroy us uh, from within, and it can turn ugly. Yeast represents sin. And the Passover symbolized the freedom God wanted to give his people. And then he said, follow it up with the next seven days of no leaven, no yeast in your home. Clean up. It's time for spring cleaning. Remove those things from you. So that you can remember that God wants purity. They actually, Jewish people would actually clean their whole house, look for leaven everywhere, probably find most of it in the kitchen or in the pantry, but they would search the entire house, have their house clean for seven days, and then have this uh, feast uh, where they're eating crackers instead of bread so that they could remember God wants us to live pure lives. In fact, if anybody refused, they'd say, ah, oh, it's such a waste. I'd just rather just keep eating bread. They were to be uh, cut off from the people. In other words, ostracized or shunned. God's saying, this is serious. Sin can kill you. So yeast is used by God to symbolize the power of sin. And when Israel offered bread to God along with burnt offerings, the bread had no yeast in it. Jesus used the same picture. He's talking to his disciples. He said, beware of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, which puffs them up. They've got leaven or yeast, he's saying, in their heart. And it's causing them to be hypocrites. Paul used the same picture when he's talking to the church in Corinth. There was a man who was among them. Maybe he was one of their leaders who was engaged in sexual immorality. And they're all saying, well, can't we all just get along? He's a nice person. Just leave him here. And we know he's not doing the right thing, but oh, well. And Paul says to them, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He's saying the same that Moses set up to have the Passover lamb followed by seven days of cleaning up your home and your heart and your life. Clean up your church. Get ready. Do the spring cleaning. So you can see this yeast is used by God to portray sin in our lives. And he's saying it's time to do a spring cleaning in our hearts. And then look how Moses concludes his preparation instructions. Verse 21. 
Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that's in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that's in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you will keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by doing this service? You shall say, it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians with, but he spared our houses. Now, how many people honestly here, how many people think, okay, we've read the instructions enough. We, I could probably do that. You'd know, you'd know what to do, okay? That you would take a one-year-old lamb, you would sacrifice it, you'd put the blood on the doorpost, you would eat it together in the house, standing up, you'd clean the house out, your house out of, of yeast and uh, as a picture of God wants purity. It says, and the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. That's a great verse. The people bowed their heads and they worshiped God. I mean, this is one of the happiest passages in the Bible. Unfortunately, it's not repeated a lot of times in the Bible, even with these same people. They didn't learn it completely. But in this instant, they, they bowed their heads before God, they worshiped God, and then they followed through in obedience. Wow. I mean, worship and obedience bring blessings and joy. And it says, then the next verse says, then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. They heard God's voice. They honored him. They stood before him. They listened to his word. They worshiped him. And then they went out and they acted in obedience. Obedience to God's commands pleases God. It keeps us under God's protection and blessing. It fills our hearts with joy. See, how do, you, how do we bring all this together? There's a foundation of truth here in God's word. God loves you and he gives you free choice. We always choose sin. All of us have at least once, and it breaks our relationship with God. It's very expensive because sin can only be atoned for by the shedding of innocent blood. And God gives us a picture of that in the, in the sacrifice of the lamb with Moses in Passover where the, innocent's lamb, the innocent lamb's blood is shed to cover. Have you claimed Jesus as your Savior and Lord, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, has the door of your heart been covered with his blood? Because he's the only Savior available. He's the only one who's pure enough and perfect enough, whose blood has been shed for you and for me. Claim him today. Obey him today. Honor him with your life. Do you know in the last book of the Bible, Revelation talks about 30 different times about the Lamb who was slain, who is now the King of kings and Lord of lords. Those who have heard the word of God, who have bowed before God, who have worshipped him and followed him then in obedience, they've believed, they've obeyed, and they know his joy. Get right with God today. Shall we pray? Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you were clear, that you were compelling, that you challenged people to do the right thing and to walk with God and to purify their hearts and their homes and to celebrate you and to appreciate what you have done by providing the sacrifice. May we do the same as well. Thank you for Jesus, that Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen.